Welcome to the Family Church Sermon Podcast. Join us each week as we look to the Bible to seek out what it means to love God passionately and love people personally. For more information about our weekly gatherings and how you can be part of our outreach, visit jointhefamily.church. Revelation 14, 1 through 20. And it reads as follows. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters, like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the lamb. And in their mouth, no lie was found, for they are blameless. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast, and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand. He also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and suffer in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the spirit, and they that rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sits on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap. For the hour to reap has come, 
for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and, his, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came from the altar, the angel who had authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the voice, from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great wine press of the wrath of God. And the wine press was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the wine press as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. Amen. We don't even have to preach anymore. Andre did just reading God's word. Why don't you bring that to the mic? Yeah. Uh, we need to get Andre to read every week. What do y'all think? You know, so, uh, amen, yeah. So today's uh, sermon is, in, uh, is entitled, well, the sermon series is The War is Over. And maybe you're wondering why are we in the book of Revelation? Well, Revelation is maybe a book that we felt like we've lived in the last two years in our world, but also it's a book that a lot of people go to and they come up with conspiracy theories and and things that just honestly don't make sense. And I don't know if you've been intimidated to read any book of the Bible, but if you were intimidated to read and study one of them, it might be the book of Revelation because it's, it's not the easiest book always to figure out. But what does Scripture say? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God, what, stands forever. The Word of God is for us. It was for those who it was written to, it is for us now, and it is for all time until it is fulfilled in his kingdom. Our sermon today is entitled The Harvest, and we're going to unpack this big idea that Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. Let me say that again. Jesus is Lord of the harvest. And when we talk about the harvest, I don't know about you. But I, I grew up in the city. Anybody grow up on a farm? Anybody grew up? I, can't, I figured Ken did. Anybody else? We have Dennis, you know. And so here's the thing. My grandfather, Charles Carter, he grew up on a farm in Rolling Fork, Mississippi. Anybody ever heard of Rolling Fork, Mississippi? Well, my mom has. You, you're, you're cheating. Uh, anybody else heard of Rolling Fork, Mississippi? Well, I was disappointed when I was a kid because you went to Rolling Fork and there wasn't like a big fork. You know, when you got to, I just wanted, I, it was a fork like a river. I was, I didn't get that. I, I thought it was about a fork that you stab people with. And I thought it was really cool. But as I went out there, I was bored to tears because it's nothing. Have you ever been to the Delta of Mississippi? Well, there's a reason why the blues came out of the Delta of Mississippi. It's kind of depressing. And, uh, and when you're in the Delta, Mississippi is pretty poor. Uh, the Delta of Mississippi is full of a lot of farmland. And so when, when you talk about harvest, it makes sense to someone who grew, grew up maybe in a rural area or, uh, or a more, or less, less populated area than the city of New Orleans. And so I would talk, I remember when 9-11 happened, my grandfather picked me up and we went out to lunch and he was telling me about 
uh, hearing his mom calling him in the fields to come in the house and listen to Pearl Harbor as Pearl Harbor was bombed, listen to that on the radio, and we were talking about watching on TV, 9-11 happening and all this. And So there are differences between even me and my grandfather's experience when you think about like fields versus like uh, people. So when you come to the Bible, you have to ask the question, what we're, we're, we're getting to the, where the crescendo of Revelation is heading is to a city. In the very beginning, cities were meant for evil. Sodom and Gomorrah were evil, and they were destroyed. Cities were meant for evil. Think about Jonah. Jonah was called out to call against the city of Nineveh. But what you see is over time, God takes what was meant for evil and turns it to good. I love this one quote, and I, I can't exactly tell you who it is. I know I read it in the book, Center Church, not Center Church, Center Church by Tim Keller. It, he didn't come up with this quote, but it's, the country is where there are more plants than people. The city is where there are more people than plants. And God loves people more than plants, so he obviously loves the city more than the country. That's a joke, you know, but it was saying it tongue-in-cheek. But here's the thing. When we think harvest, we have to think people in the city context that we're in. But we have to bring ourselves to a more rural context and think about what does it take, what goes into a harvest, and how do you collect the harvest when it is ripe. Scripture says, Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful in Romans 10 too. Not Romans 10 to, Luke 10 to. He says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, let us pray to the Lord of the harvest to send serv servants out into his harvest. The harvest is ripe, and the harvest is now. Jesus is Lord over the harvest. He is Lord of the harvest, and he is Lord over the harvest. And when we think about it, I was watching one of the, if you know that when, part of what it takes to create a good harvest is you've got to invest in your, what you're planting, and then you've got to gather up what has grow, grown, and then you have to do something with it. And, and, and the harvest mentality plays into the life of the church where we gather, we gather all that all that we need to, to have a harvest, we gather together. That's why we gather on Sunday mornings like a good farmer would gather the right materials to plant. So we gather. And when we gather, the purpose of gathering is so that we would grow and that we would mature. That's what a good farmer does. And then the purpose of a harvest is not to leave it there. It's to grow and to feed other people, right? So the purpose of God's people are to gather, grow, and go. This is what Jesus did when he gathered his disciples together. He led them to be more like him, and then he sent them, right? He sent them as lambs in the midst of wolves. He sent them with power. He sent them to go tell the whole world about his love, and we do the same. As a church, we invest in people. We've said long ago that we hope that we are judged by our ability to send people, not just our ability to gather people. 
And so even a family like the Farleys, who we love, and we didn't want to just be with us 11 months, and Andre's been trying to work it out so that they would stay another month, but it hadn't happened. You know, we still have till Wednesday for that to happen, Andre. But even as we look at the Farley family, it's unexpected. It's unexpected that you have a family member who's in, and several family members who are in need. And what does God tell us to do? To honor our fathers and mothers and to take care of those who, whom, whom we're called to love and whom have blessed us with life. And so we go and do that. Our call as family church is to be family. And so we don't see the sending out of anyone as loss. We see it as gain because that's what God has called us to do. We gain by losing. The world doesn't teach that. The world doesn't teach that we gain by losing. The world teaches us that we collect and we collect and we collect. No matter what position you were on with some, some decisions that were made Friday of this last week, whether it be with gun control or Roe versus Wade, our country is up in arms. Why? Some feel that they've lost. Some feel that they've gained. But when it comes to Christ, we have one king and one kingdom. Yeah, and it's not, I love our country. And I rejoice in some of the decisions that our Supreme Court makes. I will put my cards on the table and not get political, but get biblical. I rejoice that life is protected. But here's the thing. We lay down our lives for those who are hurting. And now's our time, church. We have always stepped up to care for those who are in need. But now is our time evermore to step up and care for those who are in need. And we don't do it by gloating in front of them. We do it by laying down our lives and serving those who are hurting. We do it by sending and not just being sat. We do it by investing and not just hoarding. Mike, I love it when Mike does our, and well, you won't do our closing announcements this week, but Mike, you know, does a great job reminding us to give every week. And we talk about our church being a generous church. And, uh, and I'm so grateful that we have generous people in our church. And I want to let you know that we will not get to where God wants us to get with the harvest that's in front of us without the generosity of God's people investing their time, their talent, and their treasure in his mission. Now, the first year we gathered as a church, we gathered in the middle of the, uh, right the heart of the coronavirus pandemic. We were all still masked up, and, and the world was completely different. And what did we decide at the very end? We said, hey, we're poor. Things have not gone our way. But out of our poverty, we're going to set the standard that we are givers. And I don't know for those of y'all that remember this, but in our, our members meeting at the end of the year, we gave two grants. We gave $1,000 away above and beyond what we already give away. And we invested it in a church called Emmanuel Community Church. And if you're ever on Elysian Fields, going towards UNO, you'll see a church on the right being built. That church that's being built is Emmanuel Community Church. Well, the church is already a church, but they're having a building that they're going to be able to gather in. Part of that, part of that, just a small part of that, because it took them 
more than a million dollars, but a small part of that was a gift that we gave as a church above and beyond our means. We also invested, maybe prophetically, in Crossroads NOLA. And if you don't know what Crossroads NOLA is, it's a, it's a, a nonprofit that's actually based out of First Baptist New Orleans. It's not a ministry of First New Orleans, but they, they meet there and was started by them. And Crossroads NOLA is the number one foster care like finding agency in the entire state. They need us now more than ever. And we're, we're, we're positioned this summer, we didn't give any above and beyond grants, but I think, you know, when we talk about maybe spending upwards, we don't know what our Kenner property is going to cost just yet. Uh, praise God, we haven't spent more than maybe a few hundred dollars, maybe a thousand. I don't know, Mike, how much have we spent so far? I don't, I don't know. Maybe a little over a thousand. So we haven't spent that much yet. It's about to go up as we put walls up and put flooring down and things like, and put bathrooms back together and things like that. Um, but as we talk about spending upwards of maybe $100,000 on a project by, like that, we would be remiss if we as a church didn't go above and beyond and give to others who need. So next Sunday, I'm actually going to ask you to affirm, I'm giving you a week to do this, but next Sunday, we're going to affirm two gifts that Mike and I, Mike's gonna, even though Mike's gone after next Sunday, we've prayed and talked about this, and we want to affirm two gifts to two churches. One is Grace Point Church, and they meet in Destrehan. They meet at the old Shriners building, which is across from, if you ever been over there, you know where Jesse Duplantis' compound is, right across the street, and uh, they haven't had a building since Ida. In fact, those of you that remember gathering under uh, the tent that first Sunday that we all gathered together after Ida, that tent has been with Grace Point Church ever since. And they've met every Sunday under that tent since that time because they have nowhere to gather. Well, they have the opportunity to get in a building, and they're asking for help to get into that building. So out of our generosity, I'm going to ask that our church, we give them $2,000 towards probably what is hundreds of thousands of dollars to get into a building. And so next Sunday, we're going to bring that forth and then also, I'm going to ask our church to give another $2,000 away to another good, most of y'all don't know Kyle Jaggers, but he's been a good friend of mine for a long time. The times maybe when I've wanted to quit in ministry, I've had coffee with Kyle. Kyle's been encouraging. Kyle's been here 10 years in uptown New Orleans. He planted a church called Nola Baptist Church, and they've been meeting in a warehouse for the last several years. They have the opportunity to now inhabit what is the historic Valence Street Baptist Church. It's like the third oldest church, period, building in all of New Orleans, right on Magazine Street. Kyle's church is not a church much that different than ours. They run numerically around the same amount of people that we have. And so they need help to get into this building. And as a church, I want us to be generous. We're talking about the harvest. As a church, next week, I'm asked that we give 2000 to Kyle as well. And as the, as the end of the year comes up, we will see other needs. We'll assess Crossroads NOLA is going to need more help. There's going to be people that need more help. Here's why I'm asking our church to spend $4,000 when, we, when we're about to spend maybe forty, maybe dollars maybe $100,000, because you reap what you sow. 
And that's what harvesting is all about. Now, when you give regularly, we give as a church. If you didn't know, one of the organizations that we give away 10% of everything that we have every year. What I'm asking you to do and what Mike's asking you to do is to go above and beyond. Because when you look at the Old Testament, Jesus took every law that was in place and he took it to another level, right? He said, if you lust among a woman, you've committed adultery. If you hate your brother, you've committed murder. I believe that if he got to the concept of tithing, he'd say that tithing is not a ceiling you hit your head on. Maybe it's the floor you jump off of. And so as a church, I would like us, as we're considering the harvest that's before us, let us be generous. We're going to be wise with our finances, but let us be generous and let's lead the way in it. And so we gave $1,000 above and beyond in 2020. We didn't give above and beyond in 2021. So I'm saying, hey, one of these gifts will be above and beyond for 2021. One of these gifts is going to be above and beyond for this year. And let's keep increasing. We, the gift went from $1,000 to $2,000. I pray the next year goes to $4,000. I pray the next year goes to six or eight. The next year is 10. We get to 100. I pray one, maybe there's a day we're giving away a million dollars. I don't know. We can't limit God because money is simply something that God uses for his harvest. We sang some hymns earlier. We're going to close singing. I'm spoiling our response. We're going to close by singing Amazing Grace. I love the old hymns that I, I sang growing up in church. And maybe y'all remember this one. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Amen. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth, our God, is marching on. Julia Howe wrote that hymn. She was a famous uh, advocate for women's suffrage. And Julia Howe wrote that hymn, and she based it off of an old slave tune called John Brown's Body. And if you've never heard John Brown's Body, look it up on YouTube. It's, it's the same tune to the Battle Hymn of the Republic, the, the hymn written by Julia Howe. And Julia Howe got her inspiration for this when hearing Union soldiers singing John Brown's Body at a Union encampment during the Civil War. And in fact, when she heard about John Brown was a famous slavery abolitionist who was killed as part of the Harper's Ferry raid, which you've learned about in history, and if you haven't, Wikipedia it and learn. Um, and John Brown lost his, his life in that, and Julia Howe is listening as these soldiers are singing about the perseverance of freeing people, and she couldn't help but think, that the civil war that was happening at that time was a fulfillment of the chapter that we read today. She thought, she was like, this has to be, this has to be revelation in our time. Specifically, Revelation 14. 
That's why you see the, the phraseology about the grapes of wrath and things like this as, as she thought about all the things about the glory of the Lord that was coming and was going to bring peace in the midst of pain. Julia Howe was partially right. Revelation was being fulfilled. And it is being fulfilled today. You see, we talked about how, it, how this book is written to seven churches. And they are the key. The seven churches are the key for the entire book of Revelation. It's being written to churches that are being persecuted by the Roman Empire. You might hear about dragons and beasts and all these things. And you might, oh my gosh, I didn't know I was coming to a Dungeons and Dragons meeting, or, or I was hearing about the Lord of the Rings. or they, No, what is being used here is apocalyptic imagery that is symbolizing in that time the persecution that God's people were under. And God's word is for all time, and today it is passed along to us as God's people, as the church, who are ourselves undergoing persecution. In America, we do it in our own different way. We might not lose our lives for having Bible study like people do around the globe. But we may lose our jobs. We may lose family members who disagree with us. We have to consider the cost and count the cost of what it means to truly believe that Jesus is Lord of the harvest. And the harvest is symbolic, not of plants, but of people. So here's our first point. We see in the first five verses that Andre read, the harvest is redeemed. Now notice I didn't say the harvest will be redeemed. I said the harvest is redeemed. It is redeemed. Because the Lord was, is already over. It is finished. It is done. was accomplished on the cross of Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection. We now live in that reality and we wait for him to come again for his church and to establish his rule for all of eternity. He is already ruling, but we are not there fully yet. But one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Either we can bow now in our worship or we will bow one day under his rule. And what he requires of the redeemed is worship. Worship. Saying that one day every knee will bow under his rule doesn't mean that everybody is going to heaven and that everybody is inhabiting the new heavens and the new earth. It means that every knee will bow. Because we have people right now that don't bow to his rule. We live our own ways. We conduct life according to our own rules. But one day, every knee will bow. And that might sound hateful. That might sound, we're, we're talking about God's wrath against sin. God's wrath against evil. And you might say, well, how can I love a God who's wrathful? A God who doesn't send everyone to heaven. How can I love a God like that? I would say love cannot exist without wrath. You harm one of my kids, you're going to see my wrath. You harm my wife, 
you're going to see my wrath. When my kids have harmed my wife, they can tell you they've seen my wrath. My old football player side came out, you know, tackle somebody. Not child abuse. Don't, don't even go there. But love isn't possible without hatred of what love isn't. And he is the Lord of the harvest. We're told in verse 1 of chapter 14 that John looked and behold on Mount Zion stood the Lamb and with him the 144,000. We talked about the redeemed who were sealed several weeks ago. That's God's people who are sealed until his coming. And we see that they are gathered on Zion. In the scriptures, Zion was a physical place captured by King David, but it became to symbolize God and his power. And it said that they had written on their foreheads, they had the name of the Father written on their foreheads. This is counter-cultural language to the mark of the beast from last week. You will have some name inscribed on you. It's either the mark of the enemy or it's the mark of Christ. We are marked. And we, as God's people, we are marked as his. And the lamb here is standing on a mountain, Mount Zion, that doesn't move. I don't know if you've tried to move a mountain. They, they don't go anywhere. Whereas the last we encountered the beast, he was standing on the sand of the sea. There's some symbolism there. That God and his word is immovable. The enemy and his words change. Verse 5, it says that no lie was found in their mouths and they were blameless just like their Lord. The Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew chapter 5, verse 48 ends... With these words, well, the, the passage here in chapter 5 ends with these words that should scare the mess out of you. Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You want to know what perfect means in the Greek? Perfect. It doesn't mean to try. It means to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, can we be perfect? No. I'm a pastor. Laura could probably list 20 times, maybe even more. I don't want her to be that mean. Of when I didn't, when I wasn't perfect this last week. Those of us who love God and worship Him, often we curse Him and curse one another. We can't be perfect, but we know the one who is. Amen. And that's why our names aren't stamped on our foreheads. His name is. We are sealed. We are redeemed by him. Second is this. The harvest is redeemed, but the harvest is judged. Now you might say, wait, isn't there a judge not and you will not be judged in Scripture? I'd say we stop at that one verse and we don't read the rest of it. We in the church actually to a certain extent are called to have godly judgment amongst one another. We encourage one another. It means that we don't judge people's souls. Only God can do that. And the harvest will be judged. When I'm talking about the harvest, I want to be clear. I'm not talking about the what's going to be burned for all of eternity. 
I'm talking about the harvest that is going to be pulled, not the dead harvest. I'm talking about the living harvest. And you know what? One day, those of us in Jesus, we will be judged. We will take everything that we've done, even good things, and we will cast them down like Laura sang, right? Casting down our crowns on the glassy sea, right? We'll be judged. And you know what? Even our bad deeds will be judged. But when we get to that part of the judgment, while it might be scary for us, a lamb is going to come and say, mine. The harvest is judged. We are judged. Not just will be judged. We are judged right now by a loving God who for so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but would have everlasting life. I love verse 6. It says, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Does this not sound familiar to even the commission that we have as God's people? To bring, the, bring his good news to all people, every tribe, nation, and tongue. What this tells us right now is it reminds us that there is power behind our witness. If the world is going to be judged, if the harvest is here and the harvest will be, then we as, as followers of the Lord of the harvest have a good news message to share with people who are enraged at decisions being made, people who are hurting at things that have been done to him. We know that in this darkness we have found light and his name is Jesus. Restoration is here for our brokenness, and his name is Jesus Christ. And we have hope in him. Verse 7, and, and he said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory. Now fear, fear is fear. Fear means to be complete. It's not just reverence. Fear means to be terrified. But here's the thing about being terrified by God's presence as he comes. And that still small voice. And he rests his arms on us and he says, fear not. I'm with you. Remember, love can't exist if wrath isn't a reality. Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment. Now, do you all notice the tense there? The hour of his judgment has come not coming, the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. I love my professor Gerald Stevens in the New Orleans Baptist Seminary. He writes in his commentary on Revelation, he says this, God's people should fear God instead of the monster. Give him glory instead of the dragon." Worship him instead of the beast. Because one day, every knee will bow. And why do they bow? Because he has been given the name that is above every name. So we fear him. We give him glory. We worship him. And worship is the key, is the crux 
of the whole story here. The word for worship here in the Greek is proskuneo, and we find the word for prostrate or falling down for the word worship. And why is that? We talk about fear. Well, you know, I, how do I worship? How do I love someone that I fear? Well, when you fear something, you, you fall and you beg for mercy, right? Or you run. You'll have two responses to Jesus today. You'll either run from him or you'll fall and worship. Because one day, even if you're running, he's going to catch up to you. And you're going to bow anyway. This is how loving God is, is he lets us choose. He lets us choose. And this passage has some tough things in it. Let's look at verse 10 and 11. And says he also drank the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented, talking about the beasts and those who receive his mark. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur. Now, I know Ken worked in the plants. I've never worked in a plant before. You never worked around sulfur, did you, Ken? Oh, he did. He can tell you, talk to Ken, sulfur is not a good thing. If sulfur, one, it stinks, it also burns, and it corrodes, and it kills. The same imagery of fire and sulfur, fire and sulfur rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah. So what John is doing here is he's taking the, the Bible and basically just repeating it. There's nothing new in Revelation. You'll see a lot of the Old Testament repeated in the book of Revelation. He's saying that the wine of God's wrath pulled with full strength, full strength and they will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb and the smoke of their torment goes up how long? Forever. See, we would love to think that one day those who don't follow God are annihilated and they don't ever exist anymore. How could a loving God torment, allow torment for eternity? Well, the scripture doesn't give me that leeway. Right? And we say the grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word stands forever. Those who don't follow Jesus will spend an eternity apart from him. The hardest sermon I've ever had to preach in my life was I preached a whole sermon on hell. You want to talk about depressing. It's scary to study that. And it's not scary because that's my reality, because it's not. It's scary because that's the reality for so many people around me. Wayne Grudem writes in his systematic theology, he writes this, If our hearts are never moved with deep sorrow when we contemplate the doctrine of hell or eternity apart from Christ, there's a serious deficiency in our spiritual and emotional sensibilities. That means if we are in Christ and we look across the street and we see our neighbors who don't follow him and we're not stirred that they would follow him. We're not stirred to love them like Christ loved us. Thinking like Donald told Mike and Andre and I, but like putting ourselves in their shoes. 
if we're not stirred to do that, how much do we have to hate people to not share Jesus with them? Verse 12 says, This is a call for the endurance of the saints and those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Write this. This is the first time the Holy Spirit actually speaks in the book of Revelation. It says, Write this. Blessed are the dead who die in Christ from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit. They may rest from their labors. For their deeds follow them. The Spirit promises everlasting rest to God's people. Brings us to our last point, which is this. The harvest is redeemed. The harvest is judged. Lastly, the harvest is here. This isn't a waiting till all of time ends kind of thing. The harvest is happening now. If you didn't know Revelation 14, 14 through 20, probably some of the hardest verses in the entire book to interpret. Some people think maybe it's two angels and one angel is reaping all the saved people and then one angel is crushing in the wine press all those who are going to be under God's wrath and die and Then there are some other commentators that said it in the here and now, and they say this is symbolic of Jesus being crushed on the cross and the wine, the blood, right, that Andre uh, read about, the blood going as high as a horse's bridle, which is four to five feet, the blood going for 1,600 stadia, which is about 200 miles, saying that Jesus' blood is more than enough to save the whole world. There's so many interpretive difficulties here, but when you look at it this way, you you can't help but see, yes, the harvest is coming, but the harvest is already here. It's already here. And the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And we see the Lord of the harvest is sitting on a white cloud, the Son of Man with a golden crown. And crowns are mentioned all throughout the book of Revelation, maybe in fact because crowns represent power. Maybe this was a persecuted church in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, being persecuted by the Roman Empire with kings and emperors who thought their crowns were the end-all, be-all. But these people are being reminded that there's one son of man sitting on a crown, and he's wearing a crown that will never fade. Nero's not here. Domitian's not here. They're dead and gone. But there's a lamb, and he's crowned for all of eternity, and he sits enthroned at the right hand of the Father. The harvest is ripe, and it's right now. We live in this reality of already the kingdom of God is here, but it's not fully yet. The kingdom of God is here, but it is not fully yet. We have babies that have been killed in the womb. We have babies that are destroyed and massacred with guns in schools. We live in the already, not yet. Because one day, every knee will bow and every pain will go away. Every tear will be wiped from their eyes. And none of that will be anymore. 
School shootings won't be anymore. Abortion won't be anymore. Russia trying to take over Ukraine won't be anymore. It's all going to be gone. And we long for that day. But until that day comes, there is work to do. And we cannot be indifferent to that work. If you are born of the blood of Jesus Christ, you can't be indifferent to what he calls you to do as a harvester in his harvest. I was watching a sermon this past week where Matt Chandler said, to be indifferent is the way of the dragon. We can't be indifferent. We have to be involved. And that means when people are hurting, we bring life. That means when darkness is surrounding, we bring light. We don't scream and yell, you're going to hell. We cry and plead and say, come to heaven with me, right? Charles Spurgeon once said this, and you'll see it on the screen. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. Let me say that again. If sinners be damned, let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, not screaming at them how pitiful they are. Let our arms be wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, crying out, and let no one go unwarned or one unprayed for. The harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. The harvest is here. The harvest will be Some will be trampled and burnt. Some will be harvested and blossom and grow. Let us be on the right side of the harvest and not on the wrong side. And if there's someone that you know today that needs them, I I want us to buck a trend next week. We're sending out the Farley family. Did y'all know, uh, I I shared this with Mike and Julie uh, after Father's Day, Lifeway has a study that says Father's Day is like one of the least attended big holidays in the year on the church calendar. Praise God, we actually had 58% of our congregation were men that day, which is not usual. And we weren't down. We were actually pretty average, if not maybe slightly above average. Y'all know what the second least attended Sunday of the year is? Next Sunday, the one for 4th of July. Part of that is because we're traveling. We're not beating up on people. People go out and they have fun and they travel. But I will tell you there'll be more explosion inside of these walls of what the Holy Spirit's going to do than anything you could pop in the sky. And I want to invite you next Sunday to bring someone. Here's our response to this. Bring someone who needs to hear this message of harvest. Because next week we get to the crescendo of the judgment revelation. We're talking about the bowls of God's wrath. But here's the thing. We in Christ don't have to experience it. Because God's wrath isn't poured out on us. God's wrath was poured out on his son, Jesus. God made him who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin 
so that we could become the righteousness of God. Someone needs to hear that message in your life. Maybe you're here today and you need to hear that message. I want to invite you today to join the family. When I'm talking about joining the family, I'm not, that sounds mafia, join the family. You know, I'm not talking about a cult. I'm talking about joining the family, every tribe, nation, tongue that will be surrounding the throne of the Lamb for all of eternity and crying out, holy, holy, holy. Yeah. Romans 10.13 says that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lamb, of Jesus, of the Lord, shall be saved. You don't have to do anything special. Say, Jesus, be, be honest with him. It's okay. I've been reading the book of Job a little bit lately. I've been reading the Psalms. And you know what? Sometimes we need to get real with God. Right? God, I don't understand why. The, God, say you're a God of love, but you know what? My friend died of an overdose. Or my, I know this person who lost their job. God, you're good, but why is all this happening? And I promise you, if you cry out to God, I promise you, he will answer. When I was a kid, I, I told God, I said, hey, I've grown up in church. I've, I know all the answers, all this stuff, but you know what? I need a father in my life. And I was very clear with God. I said, if you're real, I need you to be my father. Amen. His spirit came and saved me. He became my heavenly father, and he surrounded me by fathers. In fact, I saw my own father become a father. So I want to invite you today to give it all to him. It's not about walking an aisle. It's not about saying a prayer. It's about surrendering to the king. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for being the Lord of the harvest. So God, as we contemplate, Lord, what an eternal reality is apart from you. Let us never be scared into heaven about what we don't want to receive. Let us fear ourselves by your blood at your feet into the kingdom for who you already are. God, today we respond. We know that grace is getting something that we don't deserve and it's amazing God we know mercy is getting something that we don't deserve and you've shown us great mercy that you know as your children wrath is not our future love is our reality so God today help us to cry out to you help us to surrender to you help us to find anyone that we know that needs to hear about that goodness. Not just the judgment, but the goodness and the love. Help us to find anyone who needs to hear that good news. Because, Lord, we know for it to be good, it's got to go to someplace bad. So, God, help us to look at all the bad surrounding us and let's light it up with the good news of Jesus.